Well, greetings. Uh, my name is Bill Kokenar, and I'm part of the Exponential team. And it's my honor to welcome you to this discussion on what's next in church multiplication. And uh, this is uh, this is actually the third of three panels that we've been doing on successive Wednesdays with some uh, really um, incredible denominational network leaders. But each each time we, as we've started these, there's just this very surreal feeling as we're sitting here at the end of a year when you, you start to be contemplative about what's happened over the past year. Man, this has been a year that uh, few of us, if any, could have anticipated. Um, and I actually think there, there's a sense that it hit at a time that maybe is one of the most dynamic times in the history of the U.S. church. And there were changes that were already underway that just seemed to have been uh, accelerated by COVID. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to share a, a, a picture really quick. I uh, I shared this last week, but I I took this uh, on a walk last week. This is actually a boat that was you know, left over from the hurricane in October, which would never before, you know, had a hurricane in the central west coast of Florida before, but, you know, typical 2020, we're hitting there, but, and and we're starting to read metaphors and, you know, pretty much everything you see. And so this is a, a little bit of a metaphor, I guess. And, and I just, I've thought about the countless leaders that I've talked to over the last, I don't know, nine or 10 months, I guess. And, and what has become clear is that we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And, uh, you know, maybe this boat, you know, represents some of us uh, in 2020. And, you know, if you're a church leader, maybe you're, you're wondering now, do we just patch up the ship and wait for high tide? Or do we, you know, commission a whole new ship? Or do we, is it both? And, and I really think it's that broad uncertainty about where the church is going, along with the, the week-to-week uncertainties about where COVID is and just all of those things. It's really uh, led to the anxiety and stress for many leaders. Um, but that uncertainty also, I think, pushes in and, and, and helps us move toward a reliance on the Holy Spirit. And I was reminded recently from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so, so the other thing that I see in this picture is that, you know, if you look, you've got kind of the storm clouds receding to the West and the sun is rising in the East. And, and I actually see hope in this picture. Um, you know, some may say that's unrealistic, but I actually see hope in, in this picture. And I think that, that God's been doing a work uh, in the church. And, and I believe that while this has been certainly painful for many people, um, I do think that God is doing a, a tremendous work in the church. And, and to talk about that, now that really is the, uh, the reason we're here today, is I want to look at what's next in church multiplication. And we've got three uh, amazing denominational network leaders that I want to introduce to you. First of all, uh, Ed Love is the Director of Multiplication for the Wesleyan Church. Ed, good to have you with us. Thanks for being hey, here. Great to be here, Bill. Thanks for uh, starting this conversation. But tell, tell us just a little bit about your role with the Wesleyan Church. Yeah, I oversee the uh, Church Multiplication Collective, which really has two wings to it. So, you know, we have the systems uh, that oversee like all of the church planter development and then uh, also the church multiplication side. So helping churches multiply. So that's uh, dealing with the church planters and with the sending churches. Uh, but it's good, good to have you. This has been fun to watch what God's doing in the Wesleyan Church over the last uh, mm-hmm. couple of years, uh, more than that now, that uh, just really getting back uh, to movement. And um, we also have with us Mark Bain, the Director of Evangelism and New Church Development for the Nazarene Church. Uh, Mark, good to be with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for the privilege of sharing with you guys. Look forward to the interaction. Yeah, well, t- tell us a little bit about, about your role with the Nazarene Church. Well, evangelism and new church development. So my emphasis is to try to encourage, inspire, train, equip, you know, help uh, the denomination to change the conversation back to disciple making instead of just church building, you know, and then um, multiplication, reproducing churches. So uh, very much the same role as, as Ed, developing systems and pathways and all that so that we can work with existing churches to multiply as well as districts to encourage existing churches to multiply. Good. Good to have you with us. And um, I'll let people know you're actually out of the office. You don't normally have a sign that says gorgeous. No, <laughs> so, that, uh, it's a whole new thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good, good to have you with us. And we also have Brad Briscoe, who's the director of bivocational church planning for the North American Mission Board. And uh, Brad, good to have you with us. 
good to be here. I've actually heard uh, that Mark takes that gorgeous sign with him wherever he goes. That's that's, <laughs> well, you, that's what I've heard. You so. expose me. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, tell us a little bit about your role with NAM. Yeah, so uh, as you just said, Bill, I mean, the title is Director of Bivocational Church Planning. Uh, it, initially or eventually someone will ask, well, what does that even mean? And I'll usually say, well, for me, it's really about two big rocks. It's about rethinking vocation. So I think that in the church, we need to do a better job of kind of blowing up the sacred secular divide as it relates to vocation and help everybody in our congregations understand that regardless of what God's called them to do in the marketplace, they're in full-time ministry. So part of it is rethinking vocation. And then part of it is rethinking church planting. So I'm just convinced that in an increasing missionary context, we, we have to be careful not, not just to start with a Sunday morning worship service when we plant a church, but we need to start with missionary behaviors and activities. So it's really about kind of rethinking as a bivocational or co-vocational leader, how do I think differently about starting a new church? Well, good to have all three of you guys with us. Um, and I, I do want to get into kind of lessons you're learning and what you're seeing for 2021 and beyond. But before we do that, well, just before we got went live here, we uh, which we actually were live before, I guess, before we brought, started broadcasting, um, we were together about 10 months ago with 5,500 people, 55 other, uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine even being in a group of 5,500 people and, and it, to even think about, you know, that happening in this same calendar year, but a, a lot certainly happened. And I'm just, you know, how is that, how are you guys doing personally? And what's this been like for your family? Just. Well, for me, it's been just like fairly normal. I've decided about three months into the pandemic I'm going to follow all the rules that are given to me, all the you know state, federal rules, try to follow those. But I'm going to accommodate the call of ministry first. So I put a mask on and continue to do ministry uh, personally. And it's been uh, our family's been pretty much not a lot of adjustments. Um, just continue to do everything we can do with as much safety as we could, you know, function with. Yeah. Bill, you shared a metaphor. I'll uh, give you one of mine. So this is my my coaster. I like a lot of wood things in my office. So this is my coaster. And uh, I think it's a good uh, representation of, you know, as you look at the, the, the rings that a tree will make, you know, through the years. And then there's always those odd little goofy spots in it uh, where either there was a drought or, you know, something happened, uh, something hit it and affected the growth and uh yet you see even around that spot you know there's this uh kind of i mean something it continues to grow it continues to uh move forward uh and expand and i think that's been one of those things where this year has been it's been a year that's marked us and uh, personally and you know it's it's been hard and in all sorts of different ways uh but you know, we're seeing the new growth come around that, that mark. And, you know, we're, we're grateful where we're at, I think. And uh, I know that's where I am personally and uh, feel just a lot of gratitude and, you know, we're able to move forward into the new and it's kind of fun. So not trying to dwell too much on the marks and the hardness, um, but uh, moving forward. So, like you said, you know, I see hope and a lot of good things that God's doing. Yeah. yeah. Man, Ed, I love that, that metaphor. That's very helpful. That's a really good picture. I think, um, well, Bill, for us, I think as a family, I mean, you know, just before COVID we moved, we, we relocated from Kansas city to the Gulf side of Florida. So that it was kind of odd. And, 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 you know, for me personally, I was just kind of reflecting on this this morning that, uh, pre COVID I traveled quite a bit. I, I mean, I had three or four trips a month. And since COVID, I haven't, I haven't traveled at all. And it's actually been, uh, it's been nice to just uh, feel a little more, especially in the move, feel a little more kind of rooted to our neighborhood. And it's created opportunities for us to slow down a little bit and, and, and truly kind of dig in a little bit more relationally in our neighborhood. So uh, that, that, that's actually been a very positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Some of the positives that have come out of this and, and I love the way you guys are, you know, thinking forward. And, and as you, as you look back now, just from a leadership perspective, what are some of the big, what are some of the lessons that you feel like came out of here? Cause there, there's a, uh, you know, much of what we're dealing with in 2020 
already existed, maybe below the surface. I mean, 2020 surfaced a lot of things in, in a way, you know, it's in, uh, and it, I think there are great opportunities uh, in that. But what, what are some, as you think back on 2020, what are some of the lessons, some of the things you've learned, or maybe that have been reinforced that you're going to take into 2021 and beyond? Good question. Uh, you know, I think for me, there was initially there was this like kind of this moment where we, even our team had to make a decision of like, do we take this as like a moment we have to slow down or stop what we're doing, um, lose some of our momentum. And it was really clear that, you know, for me, I guess the, the lesson was like, don't slow down because something changes in the culture. Just listen to the spirit and go where God wants you to go. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, you look at the church in the first century and uh, during the eras where the church was persecuted and, you know, they didn't stop. They didn't slow down. They just pushed through and then God broke through and did some amazing things. And I think God's going to do the same thing here. And so, you know, that was probably my lesson. And I want to take that with me as we move forward, even when there isn't a COVID, you know, issue in our culture. Uh, is just always listening to the spirit more and more about those different moves and which way to go. Um, looking for the open doors, I think as, you know, the apostle Paul would talk about, you know, and, and, uh, just being able to discern, you know, where we have to go and what we need to do next. So that's mine. Yeah. And I, that's, I wrote down this almost identical to what you said, be more sensitive to the calling and the leading of the spirit into all the other cries and voices, whether it's political, racial, religious, fear mongers or risk takers. Uh, you know, I, I found myself in the middle of this, you know, thinking, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of loud voices out there. And uh, but there's one voice that's not going to try to compete with them. And I think what you said is so true. And I, so my big lesson is listen to the spirit, do what the spirit says. And you're going to get yelled at by all those people at some point, probably, or you're probably not doing the right things um, as much as you try to accommodate them. But I think that's the the big lesson for me is be sense of the spirit and push out all yeah. those. I've been yelled at for wearing a mask and for not wearing a mask. <laughs> I've been yelled at for being in the urban core. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just everything, but, uh, but listening to the spirit and, and walking with him has been an amazing thing. There's a little illustration I'll throw out. You may have heard it. It is said that Lincoln went to a church during, during the war. It was a really bad time. Hundreds of men were laying in the floor of the church. It had turned into kind of like a hospital. And uh, he said, we need to have church tomorrow. They said, no, we're not going to have church tomorrow. We're, this is These men are in trouble. He said, the world at its worst needs a church at its best. And, and I think the truth is people are living and dying and people are, marrying and people are having troubles and hardship you know we've had i've had three deaths in my family this year and the the, the world needs the church not the building but the church and i think that's what god's doing he's accelerating the church so that's kind of my big lesson interesting yeah and i like what mark just said the word accelerate you know i think bill you just alluded to this as we kind of got started that there were conversations and 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 kind of movements uh within the church in north america uh, kind of under the surface. I mean, but people weren't really leaning into them and COVID just accelerated that. I mean, 10, 20, 50 fold. Um, and I think, you know, and, and there are things that I've been passionate about. And I think all of you have been very passionate about as it relates to just kind of rethinking the nature of the church and mission and discipleship and all of that. And I think COVID has pushed that conversation. And I, frankly, I think in a, in a good way, and I'm actually excited about it. And then the second thing is in the midst of this, boy, for several months, I just tried to listen to uh, church leaders and the struggles and the things they were processing. And then, and then just try to help, I don't know, try to kind of bring clarity or what, what are, what are the key two, three, four issues that, that are taking place here. And, and that, that's been an interesting journey the last few months of just trying to take all of those struggles and conversations and kind of, condense them down to, you know, kind of some big rocks, I guess, of, of uh, trying to help the church then think about ways forward. So um, it's interesting. I, I, again, I just think COVID has accelerated is, is a good word. It really has accelerated 
uh, so many issues that were kind of under the surface in the church. Yeah, and along those lines, and and what you guys mentioned about following the Holy Spirit, I think there was there was a sense that the model of church that we had could be, you, you know, you could do. I mean, you're always praying, hoping God speaks into that, but you can also pull it off. I think it was Francis Chan said that it scares me to death that I could lead a church of 4,000 and not need a relationship with Jesus. And, and, you know, I believe in his relationship with Jesus. Well, obviously, what he was saying there is that the system, you could run the system if you were a good communicator and good leader, um, where this is really pushing us to, to rely on the Holy Spirit. And, and along those lines and, and the idea of things being accelerated, I've had a number of leaders say to me, we, we have churches that didn't realize how Sunday-centric they were. And, and what have you, and I'm sure you guys have heard the same thing, what have you said to those churches that, that really didn't realize until the weekend gathering was taken away from them, how, how focused they were on the weekend gathering for both their, their income, their identity, and, and all of that. And the ones that, and the ones that and there's still, obviously there's still some that are just sort of hanging on tooth and nail until, you know, February of 2020 comes back, you know, um, and uh, which it's, it, you know, whatever it looks, it's going to be, I think, different than February 2020. But but there are there are a lot that are sincerely, you know, really wrestling with that. What, what do you say to church leaders that are in that situation? Well, Bill, I think I mean, I think you're right. The it, the number one thing that I think COVID has revealed is just how incredibly centralized our ecclesiology is. And, and just as you said, Bill, so I've heard so many leaders say, look, I knew Sunday, my Sunday gathering or our Sunday gathering was a big deal, but I had no idea <laughs> until it was yanked away. Like you said, we staff around Sunday morning, you know, it's a primary mechanism for most churches that relates to, to, to giving, you know, they try to try to discipleship or, to, you know, do discipleship around Sunday morning, all the programs and activities somehow are connected to Sunday morning. So yeah, that should, that has been for me the most, difficult, but encouraging and, and, and uh, exciting conversation to have with, and I think you're right. There's churches that they're just hanging on to go back. You know, they, they want to reopen, <laughs> but yeah. then there are a number of church leaders that say, no, we can't miss this opportunity. I mean, th- this is actually an opportunity to really reboot or reset the way we think about church. So I just think those that can't wait to go back to the way it was, uh, frankly, I don't know, I mean, I guess we, we, we should try to help them, but as it relates to multiplication, I don't know there's a whole lot that we can do. I think, you know, frankly, I think they're in, in for a very rude awakening that it's not, we're not going back. It's just the world has changed enough. It's, it's not going back. But those, I think there's existing leaders. The conversation I have is what, what do you need to do to make some incremental shifts to become a little less centralized and a little more decentralized? But then the other conversation that's even more exciting than that for me are church planters that actually want to start decentralized network of smaller expressions of church. So that that is the single most exciting uh, movement, I guess, in the church in North America. And and Bill, and you know, Bill, you and I have talked about this, but I mean, the number there are a few examples around the, the country, really good pictures and examples of what this could look like. But the number of men and women that are leaning really heavily into this right now is so exciting. I mean, all over the place, there's people that are saying, no, we're, we're, we're completely thinking differently about church planting. And, and again, COVID has, has increased that multiple times. Yeah. I think a personal lesson for me is it's uh, I've kind of I think most of us have known that there's something kind of wrong with what we're doing. When you look at the statistics in North America in worship attendance over the last 50 years, it's not good, uh, you know, and, and uh, praise God, there's some new things happening and some some movements are happening and that's great. But total numbers are not necessarily positive. And I think there's always been a sense that, you know, maybe something's not what this has done is forced us to be more creative. And it's reminded us that there's actually six days in a week we don't use <laughs> very much. And it makes it, you know, it just opens up the whole thing. I think God is an amazing, creative God. I think he has ways of doing church that nobody's ever dreamed about or ever thought about before. And he's going to reveal those things to us. And we're seeing him do that uh, in, in, in our tribe. It's exciting. It's, it's not happening fast enough, I think, for, for what I'd like to see it happen. But thank God we got six more days to use now. And people are starting to acclimate to the reality of that. They wouldn't have thought about that a year ago. So it's God's kind of, you know, it's kind of bittersweet. So it's wonderful. 
I'd agree with both of you guys. And I think, you know, we're seeing those shifts towards, you know, the church planner starting with a decentralized network too. And just, I mean, uh, you know, probably it's probably the dominant uh, perspective now with those that we see enter our trainings and whatnot. And so that's a really fascinating dynamic. I think for those churches that uh, had something currently going on, they realized that they were Sunday centric, you know, it's a great conversation because I think, you know, <clears throat> what you're really doing is starting to have a conversation from just assimilating people into your church to actually mobilizing your people, and they're finally open and forced to have that conversation, which that's the conversation we really want to have is how do we mobilize the priesthood of all believers, you know? Right. And so now they're forced into that, wanting to have it and leaning in. So those are just powerful conversations when you get a church to shift from just assimilating to actually mobilizing. Uh, now we're we're able to move some things forward. We're, we're able to talk about pioneering leaders. We're able to talk about new church planners coming out. Um, and really becoming a sending church. Uh, but also, uh, it's fascinating with the new churches that are starting just within the season. I mean, we've, we've launched churches, you know, through the pandemic, um, you know, and, you know, we've had new churches come on, come into our trainings, like nothing has slowed down our assessments, our uh, trainings, uh, everything is just, you know, moving forward. And uh, so those stories that we're starting to capture are coming from a real place of calling and conviction, uh, which is great. And, uh, you know, there's also just a new picture emerging, though, that isn't Sunday centric, and they know that it shouldn't be Sunday centric. And so that's what's great, I think, about the future um, church planners that we're seeing right now, um, being unleashed into the world. So you, yeah, you guys are talking about two things. I want to come back to both of them. I want to come back to the, the decentralized um, sort of micro expression network. But before we do, you know, a lot of people that I think would be on this, uh, watching this uh, a webinar or um, with hundreds of people that watch it later, uh, they're if you're watching what's next in church multiplication, you're, you're not one of the people that are hanging on until February, 2020 returns, you know? So what, what's, but, but say there's, there are leaders on that, that have really, you know, they're in that. I, I realize how Sunday centric we were. I realize we now we have six other days during the week. We actually do ministry. We need to do ministry through our people. What, what are some, are, are some practical steps or guidance? And, and I know there aren't necessarily specific steps you can do without knowing that, you know, the context, but what are some just general, you know, more specific than, than just don't rely on Sunday? You know, what, what would you say to them? One thing I share with existing leaders is, uh, and, and I think it's not complicated, but I think it's multifaceted. The question you just asked, Bill, I think there are, you know, there might be eight or nine different kind of ways to get at this, and, and we probably need to be involved in all of them. But one, one of them that I think is a biggie is to take everybody in your church through some kind of discovery process, if they haven't done this before, to help them identify how they're wired and gifted and what is their passion towards mission. And, you know, and again, Bill, you know, I've talked about, you know, I love what the underground does with the thing called the calling lab. And I think what happens is if you take, you know, if you're in an existing congregation and you take, even if you take 20 people or 50 people or 100 people through some kind of calling lab or some kind of discovery process. And if one person identifies a certain brokenness in the city and they say, hey, now I, I realize God's gifted and wired and passioned me for this. As soon as the church resources and equips and activates that person into that mission, they've instantly become just a little less centralized and a little more decentralized. Mm -hmm because they've empowered and, and equipped someone to engage in mission outside the walls of the church. So that's simple. I mean, and it doesn't mean, you know, everybody has to engage in it. I like to talk about incremental shifts, but I just think once we, we just have to help people identify their gifting towards God's mission and then figure out as a church, how are we going to resource them to do that? Yeah. Good. Good. What are the guidance would you you guys, Mark and Ed, uh, give to churches that have re realized how Sunday-centric they were genuinely want to move away from that. What, what next steps would you give them? I'd launch off of Brad's comment about letting people do niche, niche things, things that they feel a calling to. I think 
previously in the church planning movement, we maybe didn't really focus on that. We focused on the high impact, you know, high capacity leader that could build a church of 5,000. And I think the, the dream that I have is that every Christian can be involved at some level in church multiplication. Every believer should be involved. So whether that, you know, so now this allows for someone to start a house church or an organic ministry movement or a sports church that maybe they wouldn't have thought of as even, but they, we thought that was freaky, you know, a year and a half ago. And I think it's going to become the norm. I think this is a great time. Uh, uh, you know, the, as I said before, you know, you know, Tertullian said the blood of the Mars was the seed of the church. And I think we can look back on this day and say, man, this was a new beginning of new expressions. That's going to, God's going to be so creative. And we weren't open to his creativity prior to this. And so I think just saying to everyone, everyone should be engaged with multiplication, everyone. And uh, you may not be the person that starts that ministry, but you may be, and uh, God can use you. That's the unknown quality, right? We have the Holy Spirit that equips us. And, and of course, most of the people that are going to be starting, uh, you know, those different expressions probably would not be approved through a good assessment to be a high impact, high capacity leader. But we're seeing the priesthood of believers, as Ed said earlier, move out. And I just, I, so I, I just say, everyone get engaged with this. This is a time that God just opened the door and said, Hey, do it. And, um, and I think it's happening. Yeah. I'd agree with uh, both Brad and Mark um, with that too. And I think that's what we are seeing. We're witnessing that happen right now. Uh, and it's almost just happening. I got to say it's organic because sometimes it's not like the leaders even pushing for it to happen, but it's just starting to rise up from within the people, within the body of Christ, you know? And uh, I, I think I might go back a little bit further just on a, a, a word of uh, guidance. Uh, let those things flow from your disciple making process. Mm. Those disciple making relationships, Good. that's where the calling should flow from and that discovery process and their empowerment for mission as they go out and really taking a look at, you know, what what is our disciple making system here? What is our process look like for people? And what I think the question to ask and that leaders are asking well now is what's the end result? Like, let's just get together. Let's be really honest about the end result of our disciple making process. What we, you know, have been doing for years, um, or even if it's a new church, you know, um, I remember my first church plant. Um, I had this conversation a year after, uh, because I didn't like what I started. And so I had to have this conversation with our leaders, like what is our end result and what, what does it look like to build a disciple making, you know, um, uh, system uh, that would get us there? And I had to start with Jesus. You know, I had to ask the question, what was Jesus's end, end result with his disciples? Of course, you know, you look in the scriptures, the story, it's interesting. Jesus told his disciples right when they, he, he called them, he told them the end result, you know, walks up to Peter, Andrew, James, and John on the boat. And, uh, says, hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you into fishers of people. And that was, that was the end result for Jesus. And I can't think of a better end result. And so, but that all just starts at the beginning though. And we got to lead people toward, you know, becoming fishers of all people. Um, and I think over the years, we've replaced the end result with something else. And even churches like the Wesleyan church is a holiness church, right? You know, uh, even the Nazarene church. I mean, you know, so sometimes we've even replaced it with just being holy is mm -hmm. like the end result. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of it still, but that's part of the journey as you get to making, you know, becoming a fisher of all people. And so I think that shift is really helpful for people right now. And, uh, and then that opens up the calling conversation, which Brad mentioned, and the empowering of people to go on mission um, that Mark mentioned too. So yeah, those are my thoughts there. Yeah. In fact, um, Brooks, if you wouldn't mind uh, putting a link in the chat for the made for more kit, um, 
uh, exponential put together kit um, Rob Wagner and Todd Wilson wrote uh, called Made for More. And it, it looks at six shifts out of the book of Ephesians that to move from a posture of recruiting volunteers to actually mobilizing people. And there are videos in a study guide uh, that are part of that. Um, but that is powerful. As I think about the latter part of um, Ephesians 1, where Jesus is given authority over the church to be to fill in all and through all. It, it, it doesn't seem like there'd be enough vocational pastors for that to be able to happen. And so equipping and empowering people. Are, are there examples, specific examples where you've seen where that's, that's going well, or, or you're, you're seeing that begin to happen? Where, where is that happening and where, what does that look like to you? So which means, way, you, guys the, agreeing, you guys keep agreeing with each other. I'm waiting for you to disagree with each other. Too, so don't, <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> I disagree with whatever Brad's about to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying anything then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. Well, to hear. So what, so which piece bill? I mean, as far as uh, discovery props, I mean, the empowerment where, where people have, have started to say, Hey, we need to do ministry through our yeah. people. Yeah. Well, uh, again, yeah, and, and Bill's very well aware of this, but, you know, about a year and a half ago, we moved from Kansas City to the Tampa St. Pete area. And in part, because I wanted to be in a better position to be able to tell the Tampa underground story back into my tribe, because I just think there's a lot to learn there. And one of the things that I think they do so well is empower people to engage in God's mission through the calling lab and through lots of other things as well. And I still, there's a little phrase in, in Brian's book, underground church. He says, no strategy will reach every kind of person, except a strategy that empowers every kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I just think that is simple and so profound that the only way we're really going to engage all the nooks and crannies, you know, in all of the cities and rural and or just every context is that we have to equip and empower or act, sometimes I use the word activate, we have to activate all, capital A-L-L, -L, all the people of God, not just some, but all. We have to activate them to engage in God's mission. So I, I think underground, and there's lots of others, but there's, I think that they, uh, it, they're a really good example of what it looks like to empower people to engage in mission. Yeah. One of those specific examples, you said, what are some actual examples? This is a very small one, but a specific one. I have a friend who uh, has played disc golf for years and and uh, he said, well, you can't be inside, you can't, but you can be outside. So I started a disc discipleship movement. Uh, he's, he's making disciples on a disc golf course and, you know, just creative ways. That maybe you would never be forced to think that way in a normal setting. But because of this, and I think that all of our, the context that we have, all of our different systems and structures and habitus and all this, the Holy Spirit is speaking new things to people. And for the first time in years, they're listening. And they're they're responding, you know, sports churches, all kinds of crazy things that we didn't ever thought of before. And so uh, there's a lot of those expressions happening, I think, all over. And I think we're going to see it multiply. And as we get closer to the end of this thing, I think we're going to see uh, people craving new things, not craving old things. Yeah. Just a thought. Good. That's good. Um, wish I could disagree with you guys, but uh, <laughs> I'll do it anyway. Still, still good. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, um, I could mention specific churches, um, but I will say I'm actually encouraged by where our larger churches are going and the way that they're thinking through this too. And many of them are adopting some new strategies themselves and breaking down their communities, you know, becoming less Sunday centric. And the ones, I feel like the ones that we're already leaning into, you know, these might be churches two, two to 5,000, you know, pretty large organizations, right? So, so there's a level of complexity there, but um, the ones that were already leaning into multiplication before the, you know, pandemic era, uh, they're, they may have been a little bit more ready for some of these changes and moved really quickly through it. And um, some of them have already, you know, they've got people spread out all over a region really, um, but they were quick to grab onto key leaders in, in different areas um, and really developing more of a watch party mentality, but it's like a little bit breaking down uh, the structure and then with a, a longer term plan of actually identifying those leaders 
and then uh, starting new churches through those uh, new leaders. And so that's been really uh, encouraging, I think, for me um, just to watch that happen and to know about the possibility now of multiplication breaking out um, within those um, church pockets. So that's just a, another example, I think. Yeah. That's interesting. But there, I also know, too, that there, there are tensions that come with that. Like, like it just, yeah. yeah, it's not awakening and, oh, okay, we need to do ministry through it. What, what, are, what are some of the tensions that you've seen that have come up and, and maybe how some churches have, have dealt with that as, as, they, as they begin to see, okay, we, we need to be doing ministry through our people. Um, have, have there been tensions that you've seen churches experience and, and what does that look like or how have they dealt with that? Oh, of course. I mean, there's tensions left and right, but I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, your church staffing situation. And, uh, you know, those can be some hard conversations because you got to, you know, uh, reconfigure your staff dynamic. And, uh, you know, um, I think uh, some of it is releasing power and control uh, to leaders that are going to do things. Uh, that might be a little bit different, you know, because it's not completely like a, oh, we're just doing a bunch of micro campuses now. Um, but it's really empowering those leaders. And so I think that's where, you know, for that uh, primary leader of the organization, you know, it takes uh, a whole lot more um, relational work um, to actually, you know, see it all come together. But for for the most part, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic leaders are working through the tensions and uh, it seems like just because the era we're in, people give each other a lot of grace too. like, yeah. Hey, we're, we're figuring this out together. Um, so that's maybe an advantage that we have as we work I, through it. I think you're exactly right. I think, yeah, this, this year has given, it, it, try something and fail. I mean, yeah. yeah, this is, this is a good year to good year to do that. Yeah. Do you get uh, Mark or Brad? Have you seen the, the, some of the? What are some of the tensions that you've seen? If if any of churches that have moved away from being Sunday centric? Yeah, I don't know about tensions. I mean, I, I just I would echo a little bit of what Ed said. Is I think there are churches that were already in a pretty good spot to be able to pivot a little bit, and then there are others that it's just going to take a long time. And I just tell them they even if they want to move in a different direction, they're just going to be really really patient because of how their their budget is set up how their staff is set up you know it, it, uh how they're tied into certain facilities or buildings i mean it's just not going to happen overnight so again there are some i i just encourage them to just be patient you know don't don't blow it up but i think where where the greatest advantage or opportunities are are with with planters i mean and that's what i you know i i spend 80 percent of my time with planters and they they're just most of them are in a position to where they can kind of pivot um, much quicker and, and easier. And some of them, I tell you, a couple of conversations I've had that I think have been interesting is they just don't have any other option because I, I know of planters that are meeting in schools or they were meeting in schools and the school came back to them and said, listen, you're never coming back. And it was like, don't, don't hold on and think in six months you are. They said, you're never coming back you know so it's like okay we've completely lost our meeting space so then they you know they, so that's different there's like we we have no time to be patient and work through the tensions we we have to you know we have to make a change and, and think completely different about this like today yeah. so th those have been those have been interesting and again for me long term I, I i'm actually encouraged and excited by by that yeah, I think that's a, a good word for um, new church plants. You know, we talk about, you guys are real familiar with the five levels of, of that we talk about of multiplication. We talk about it exponential, level one being subtraction, level two plateaued, level three being the adding church is what we typically champion, level four being reproducing more. Now you're sending things that can exist beyond you and level five multiplying, uh, multiplying which you can think of as reproduction of the fourth generation. But we talk about a magnet at level three that we're, that we're drawn to, you know, to, to, to be a large church, you know, that's, that's kind of been the goal. Uh, but many of the things that you do that make your great level three church become the very things that keep you from moving on to level four and five. And like you were talking about the way you staff the, 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 the building, 
you know, debt on buildings, that sort of thing. I think even the the social contract you make with your people, you know, what you win them with, you win them too. And so, you know, if you've oriented them a certain way of just come here, we'll take care of you. This is what you'll do. And now you're saying, no, we want you to be a missionary. You know, even that takes a, takes a, uh, a significant, a significant shift. And I, I like what you said about incremental shifts. Um, that's, I, I think that's probably a good way for, for a lot of churches to, to think. Um, that's good. Yeah. I try to, instead of, I, I mean, I found myself years ago using the word transition and I realized it's not a very good word because when people hear transition, they think, Oh wait, well, as a church, we're this thing now. And then eventually we're going to transition to this thing over here. I mean, like sometimes people will say, so Brad, give me an example of a missional church. It's like, I mean, there is no missional church. There's churches that are more engaged in mission, but like, how would you define, you know, a missional church? So I just think incremental shifts for existing congregations is probably better language to say, look, if you've got 10% of your people that are fully engaged in God's mission outside the walls of the church, what what would it look like if you get to 20% or what if you got to 50%, you know? So I think that's just a little more uh, doable, I guess. And, and, And it doesn't seem quite as scary. Right. Well, and, then, and then the other point, too, is it doesn't have to be linear. If you're starting out and you want to be level four, level five, you got a better chance of getting there by going directly to level four and level five instead of trying to get through there through level three. So what you know, thinking about using that as that kind of framework, if, if how would you advise church planters that say, hey, we've seen through this, you know, how Sunday centric churches, we don't want to be that way. We, we want to launch with kind of this, with a multiplication DNA, with a disciple making base kind of movement. What, what advice would you give church planters that, that genuinely want that? Uh, my advice would be do it. Um, <laughs> don't talk about it. Be a doer of the word. Um, but I'm really encouraged, Bill, by uh, what you mentioned there is the fact that we have uh, the majority of church planters now that we're working with as they start up, majority by far, uh, already have multiplication on their minds. They're building it into their DNA, their core values from the beginning. And, th- and sometimes we're, we haven't even trained them yet. And that's already there. So that's a really encouraging sign for the movement at large, I think, um, large part thanks to Exponential and all the work that you've done through the years of, of helping to, to create that culture. But the, um, uh, in fact, I even um, three years ago, I initiated a new grant uh, that we would provide as from our organization as a new church starts, they can get up, they can get a, the basic startup grant, but then we also created a multipliers grant. And that was from, for a church that would commit day one to be a multiplying church. And what we were tired of was, uh, you know, and there was a, there was an era, uh, we could just say the early 2000s, you know, maybe 2000 to 2015, somewhere in there. I mean, the ch- you, there were very few church planting churches, right. you know, when they, when they started. It was like idealistic. It was one day win when we have enough, when we reach a certain amount of people, uh, when we have extra in our budget, then we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll plant churches there. So there's a lot of talk, just not a lot of action. And now I'm seeing that completely flip. And so we, we created the grant uh, to stimulate that uh, just to uh, reward, you know, those good behaviors in a way. But uh, I mean, it's almost unnecessary because it's already happening. Uh, and, uh, and for me, I think it's just really affirming to where the movement is going. And so we've got churches planting churches, you know, uh, from day one and even setting aside money day one, that's part of the criteria, you know, to get the grant is, you know, to do that. I think it was Ed Stetzer, I heard years ago when I planted my first church in the early 2000s, he says, if you don't plant a church in the first three years, uh, you're probably not going to be a church planting church, you know? And I took that to heart. I was like, we're going to be a church planting church, you know, uh, no matter what. And, uh, you know, that's what it takes. You got to have that mentality uh, from the beginning uh, or else level three just creeps in and that's what you're going to be. 
you know, and it's hard to move away from that. So I, th- I think one of the, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Ed. Uh, I agree with what you said. I'm trying to find something to disagree. I'm really working hard on this. I know. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm thinking about this, uh, our conversation related to COVID and related to um, the, the high impact church concept versus the, you know, organic thing. And I, and I just think, one of the things that this is helping, I think, a lot of leaders to think is that you don't have to be a large church to be a multiplying church. I think we thought that for some, and I think Ed uh, touched on that. Maybe Brad did as well. But this is helping us understand, man. You can have a small church network, you know, and and uh, do amazing things for God with very few resources. Uh, that I don't know if we thought we could do that previously, and uh, so praise God for the positive results that are coming out of this in terms of multiplication. And I think uh, any church can become a level five church. You don't have to be a big church. That's just really good news. And I'll say that out loud, everybody listening, you don't have to be a mega church to be a church planning movement, man. You can start it with a very small group. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when um, I was describing level five churches, uh, I would use Ralph Moore just from having read viral churches that Ed Stetcher and Warren Bird wrote. I met him about a year later when he first came to Exponential, and it's been a joy to have the opportunity to actually work with him uh, for the last four years. But uh, Ed's, uh, um, Dave Ferguson interviewed him at a conference in California, one of our conferences in San, in uh, San, uh, Los Angeles. And you know, it, it, people looked at what Ralph was doing and, um, you know, not necessarily the, the best speaker you've ever heard from main stage or anything, but realized that he had launched out of the 77 churches Hope Chapel planted, where they actually, we actually tracked down three, 2,322 churches that tied their roots back to those 70 some mm-hmm. churches. Yeah. That was four years ago. I, I, I don't know how many churches there are. And so you think about, you know, that opportunity. I mean, Ralph's 75 now, if he lives to be 100, his greatest legacy comes in the 100 years following his life because of the way that he's way that he's planted and that's that's where the power of uh of i think the the multiplication comes in um but yeah this is uh um brad you i think part of this going forward is um as we we empower people is this idea of of co-vocational bivocational planting um you know because you, there, there's not going to be enough money to fund everybody to be a full-time vocational pastor. And I don't think we should. Um, what Talk a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing with uh, kind of Bible Covo as, as it relates to church planting. Yeah, well, the interest level, of course, is at an all-time high, I think. And of course, you know, we've had bivocational planters for, for years, especially in different uh, ethnic communities. It was, you know, they were trying quad vocational and still are. But I just think... Uh, you know, most denominations, processes, and systems have been very, they, they lean very heavily towards fully funded planters. So I think within denominations, uh, that's still kind of slow. Uh, but without a doubt, like I say, the conversation and, and what, you know, like you, you just brought up, Bill, financially, we all know anybody that's in denominational work, we do not have enough money to plant all the churches we need to plant. And the only possible way we're going to see a church planting movement is with bivocational and co-vocational leaders. But what I'm excited about is, in addition to that, more and more conversations are being had around the missiological benefits of being bivocational. And because we all are living in an increasing missionary context, I think that actually needs to be the, the driving emphasis for, for bivo planting. And then recognize there's lots of financial benefits. But just the fact that you know, more and more people are less and less interested in the programs and activities of the church we have to find other ways to connect with lost people. And I'm convinced one of the single best ways is in the marketplace. So as we have bivocational and co-vocational leaders in the marketplace, uh, they just have access to a mission field they wouldn't have otherwise. And then there's lots of other like missiological benefits. You know, we talked about that before, kind of street cred or respectability, both inside the church and outside the church. And so I just think as we see, as we have limited funds, without a doubt, we're going to have to have more bivocovo leaders. But as we recognize how different the world is around us, we're going to have to think more like missionaries. And, and as we do, we're going to see that, no, look, we, we need to engage these places um, through, through the marketplace rather than being a fully funded 
plan. And talk real quickly about the, uh, your, the difference between Vivo and Covo as you're using those terms. Yeah, so I still use the language of both, uh, but I, I, I think covocation opens up like a whole new realm of potential planters. So sometimes when I explain the difference, I'll say that I, I think I'm afraid sometimes the word bivocational actually gets in the way of what we want to see accomplished. And the way I'll illustrate that is to say, think about the word bifurcate. To bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. We compartmentalize. And unfortunately, I think too many church leaders and people in our congregations, even when they hear the word bivocational, they bifurcate. So we have leaders that say, oh, I do my work over here so I can do ministry or mission over here. And I don't think that's helpful. So we, uh, a couple of years ago, we started playing around with this word co-vocational, where co, I mean, just think about that word for a minute, co, C-O, comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common. So think of words like co-author, co-pilot, co-laborer. It's about bringing, aligning two things together. So my little nuance is I'll say, and they're both good. But I'll say a bivocational church planter is someone that has a part-time job in the marketplace that they see as temporary. So their hope or their dream is the church would grow large enough that they could leave their part-time job and focus full-time on the church. Where a co-vocational church planter is someone that has a primary calling in the marketplace that they never intend to leave. So in other words, this is where we need to rethink vocation. So in other words, they know that God's called and wired them to be an engineer or a mechanic or a school teacher or a doctor or whatever it might be, a web designer. And at the same time, they feel like God's calling them to start something. So my hope is when we talk about the missiological benefits and we talk about the financial benefits, we'll actually have more and more bivo planters that, that, that choose to become covo planters. So in other words, even, even though they could leave their part-time job in the marketplace and focus full-time on the church, they stay just because they realize there's just too many benefits. So all that to say, I use both, Vivo and Covo, and they're both good. Two thumbs up to both of them. But I just think the, the word covocation helps to kind of open up some other opportunities for people that might not have even known it was an option, that they could be a school teacher and plant a church. Yeah, Ed and Mark, what does that look like in your denomination? Because a lot of times in the past, bivocational was, was kind of looked down on, like you weren't, you know, you hadn't made it yet. You know, or or you or you you failed in some way, you know, because you're what what does that look like now in your denominations? We have some we have some um, exciting things happening. We, I had a guy that was a art teacher in a high school that built a great church. I don't know, maybe 19, 20 years. And he, and he uh, was about to retire and wanted to, you know, start thinking about being full time in the church, what that would mean. And he backed out. He said, I won't have contact with the world if I do this. I'm not going to I'm not going to back out. I'm going to continue to teach even at a, on a, you know, on a kind of retirement level. So I continue to build my church. I think that's uh, I think that's a natural happening in, in the in the movement in our denomination. I think more and more we're realizing that we need to replenish. I think somebody needs to write a book called Replenish, where what's happening with the people that are leaving our pews and going to heaven or whatever, and the greatest transfer of wealth is happening in the next 10, 15 years. Uh, and people that are in our seats, and how do we replace them? And I think the only way that we're going to get through is to be bivocational, co-vocational. And I like co-vocational uh, as well, better, Brad. So, yeah, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, we've got a lot of great things going on, too, in that realm, and uh, it's really exciting. I mean, even just like I was talking to a church planner that was going to a new city to actually just kind of explore moving there and planting themselves in that community. And my, they were coming out of a large church, like as a staff member, you know, with great salary benefits. My assumption was they were probably looking to, you know, have a, you know, uh, the same sort of deal, uh, just got to raise a lot of money, right? And uh, they weren't opposed to raising money, but um, uh, he said right off the bat, he's like, my first step uh, when I want to go into that new city is I'm going to um, find a great job that lets me be co-vocational. And I was like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me, you know? Awesome. And uh, it was one of those things where it's like, um, you know, it's just just kind of a shocker uh, to the system, but in so many ways, it's just a sign of the, the, the values of that we've created in our multiplication culture, you know, are just taken off and people are, uh, going for it and making sacrifices in the meantime. Um, you know, and, 
you know, we've got um, another cool example um, just popped up. Um, a fellow had been called into ministry years ago, but never followed through. And, uh, you know, uh, he's got a, a heart for the mental health uh, challenges in their community, um, but then got exposed to dinner church model and um, doesn't plan on, you know, leaving his vocation where he's at uh, because he's, he's connected to all those relationships in his vocation that he works um, for the city organization. And so he's actually merging the two together uh, in combination with an, another Celebrate Recovery group and is forming this dinner church, restoration church is what it's called. But I was like, wow, this is incredible, you know? And, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. You know, we need thousands and thousands of those types of works um, pop up everywhere. And uh, I'm just encouraged by that. So thanks for all your work you're doing in that realm, Brad. You've been really helpful to the church at large. So, yeah. 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 It's been, um, I I was thinking too of Mercy Road. I happened to be on a a call with Josh Huseman earlier today and, and, you know, their, their model of empowerment, what we've been talking about and people living this out in their marketplace, their staff doesn't start anything. If they're going to have a recovery ministry, a men's ministry, women's ministry, it's all laid lead. And the staff is support the, the, lay people doing it. So they're really moving in, in mission. And that's a, it's an interesting, interesting posture, um, you know, for going forward. So I, I'm kind of switching gears a little bit here before we end. Um, Carrie Newhoff said the church coming out of the pandemic churches should think of themselves as an online church with a physical presence, not a physical church with, as a, with an online presence. And I'm just, how are you guys seeing the, the online piece play out? Um, and, you know, how, how does that fit into where you see churches are going? I'll start out. I, I think the luster of online ministry when COVID is over is going to be lost for a season. I think we'll continue to do it. And I think we all should. And I think it will continue. But uh, there will be probably a move for people to move away from that when things get back to what we think of as normal. And uh, I, I like to have a third option that is, you know, people communication with real people live. And I think that that's one of the things that we're learning that, you know, we need to get into the lives of people. You know, I, I decided a couple of months ago, I'm going to, when I'm home, I'm going to drive my vehicle and pick people up for church that can't come because it forces me in their lives for an hour, 30 minutes each way on this trip. Now this is because I'm pastoring a local church and I can do that. We have a van, but I'd much rather not have a van and just have three people pick people up. So this communication, uh, connecting with individuals, I think there's going to be a great need for that moving forward, particularly coming out of COVID because we haven't had it. No Christmas, no Thanksgiving, these kinds of things. So I think, I think he's right. I think we need to have that forever, an online presence. But I don't think anything will ever replace one-on-one communication. So there's a chance for all you guys to disagree with me. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> uh, no, maybe it's just nuanced. I, I think I agree with what Carrie is saying. Um, the, uh, the, re- the realities that we're in now is if you don't have an online presence, creating relationships. So I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about watching a church service on your phone. Like, no, that's not it. Um, But we're talking about the discipling relational process. If you're doing that via virtual spaces, now we're talking about um, something that I think is going to take us into the future. And uh, people are actually going to be doing more of that. Uh, But there's uh, like in my life, um, like I recently got on Snapchat and TikTok, um, had to have my crid- kids like show me how these things work now, you know, and I'm only 40, but like those, those weren't my social media tools. Right. And uh, but I wanted to get into that world and know like, what is it about that? And so it's it, it has um, really helped me. Uh, learn again, I guess, uh, what those, having those relationships online lead to a stronger relationship in person. And so uh, it just amazes me to watch my kids, you know, um, 
engage with those other tools, not just Facebook, right? Where we're just posting things about our life. But there's another level of relational engagement. I think if the church taps into that and types taps into the discipling framework there, that the potential that's there, it's huge for the church. So I'm encouraged. Yeah. It's a lot to a lot to figure out there. And I think I appreciate Carrie posing the question in a provocative way you know, to get us to think about it. And I think there is a big difference. If you think of, uh, you know, the language that Joe Myers brought to us in um, Search to Belong, the idea of developing relationships in intimate, personal, social, and public space that we tend to, if you put a, just putting a service online, it's just public space. But how do you, how do you create social space where you're actually uh, connecting? But man, I wish uh, I'm looking at the time here um, and uh, this has gone by quickly. Um, wish we had a little bit more time, but I, I, I thank you guys for uh, investing your time together. And uh, uh, I, I was thinking about, I wrote down something, uh, Ed, I think that you said early on in this conversation was they pushed through and God broke through. And, and just our, our kind of our emphasis early on, it wasn't scheduled, but the, the emphasis early on was hearing from the Holy Spirit, that that being one of the big uh, perhaps uh, positives that come out of 2020 is, you know, we've had our normal systems that we counted on sort of jacked up one way or another. And so we've had to rely on the Holy Spirit, you know, not just for direction, but for, for, for peace and for comfort and for rest. And, and, you know, as I see that going forward, you know, and then, you know, it's on us to push through, but it, but then recognizing that the God will break through. And I, I think that's a, that's a good word. It's a good word. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of you being on here. I look forward to, to being with you guys soon. Have a great day and have a, a wonderful Christmas season. Thank you. Thanks, God Bill. bless you. Thanks, Dude, Bill. Thanks, Ed. Ed. God bless you guys. See you guys. Merry Christmas.